Hello, I'm Reggie Yates, and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, an original podcast series created by Bellstaff. I struggled a lot when I was in my late teens and early 20s with, you know, coming out and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And I always say that that burden that I felt uh, has become a great gift because what happens is when you have real doubt about yourself and genuine fear that people aren't going to love you, I came from Catholic Ireland and, you know, that wasn't really in the culture. And the real fear that I was going to lose my family and my friends or I wasn't going to be loved was tested. And the great gift that I was given was that I had to reveal in some way who I was at a very young age, you know, 20 or 21. And every single person in my life, without fail, I'm lucky to say, said, I love you. In this new series of podcasts, I talk to successful people about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made that have led them to the place they are now. Today, my guest is an actor who continually turns out show-stopping performances. He became a household name playing Moriarty in Sherlock Holmes, and then he was a critically acclaimed Hamlet at the National Theatre. And then came Fleabag, and possibly the sexiest vicar of all time. I'm, of course, talking about Andrew Scott. Andrew, thank you for joining us. No problem, my pleasure. Yeah, no, it's, it's lovely having you here in my uh, my weird little recording booth. Mm. Uh, what is your assessment of said space? I think it's sinister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the first time I've, I've had sinister. Is that me? Do I bring an evil presence? I think presence? you're part of it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's really cool in here. It's got a, it's got a very, it's got a 70s vibe in here. Yes, it? that's what we're going for. I, I've, I've got so many things to, uh, to, to throw in your direction. Great. And um, I... How can I best put this? Uh, I'm beyond uh, impressed by just how many different types of people you've occupied during your day job. Do you mean as an actor? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've played such a breadth of roles yeah. and um, it's consistent. Uh, you never really rest on your laurels. And I, I'm fascinated as to what it is that drives you to go for such differing roles and never play it safe. Uh, well, I suppose... Um... I started uh, acting when I was a kid, not professionally, but uh, I was quite shy when I was a kid, and um, uh, I had a kind of quite a bad lisp. I sort of so did I. Did you really? Okay, how did you lose your lisp? Because well, uh, one of the reasons that I went into sort of drama classes, I had this very strong uh, sort of S. Don't you're going to make me start doing it? Don't. <laughs> and uh, so my mother brought me along to a dra- drama classes on a Saturday to sort of see if they could help with what you what they call elocution, mm. um, and I was also quite shy. Um, so it was a way of sort of combining both those things. And so I used to have to do um, do all these she sells seashells on the seashore sure. and all that stuff. And all right. that stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, is that what you had to do? Okay, no, no. I, uh, I taught myself off the back of a girl giggling at my lisp. And whenever I talk about it, it starts to come back. You're joking. Me. Oh, it's starting to happen. My tongue's getting fat. This is getting weird. Wow. So uh, basically, I taught myself <laughs> to speak with my tongue flat. Yeah. That was my thing. So yeah. once it flattened out, it went away. Extraordinary. Um, and how much did that change performance and confidence for you then, not having that lisp? I was aware that, I think my parents, like it's kind of cute when you're a kid and I think they're a bit like, okay, well, if this continues into sort of teen, the teenage years, maybe it might cause a little bit of problems or yeah. maybe it won't or whatever. Um, so actually in a way that sort of disappeared relatively without, without too much drama. But what going to acting classes where you just get up, just, I always say to that doing drama classes for children is really good just even if you don't end up becoming an actor that if you go in having to make a presentation at work just speaking in front of having to get up in front of other kids mm. and you know 
do an improvisation or say a poem or whatever it was. To answer your question, the thing that uh, I associate with acting is that you play a part. Yes. That's that's the word. And I think sometimes uh, there's a degree of seriousness attributed to acting that I don't um, relate to as such because I think we move so far away from you know when you see kids playing in a park or in their room and they they they're they're just free they go okay you be this and I'll be this and blah 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 and they just go with it yeah. and um we move very far away from that you know in, in adulthood so when I'm looking for roles I like if I've just done something I kind of want to do something completely else it just yeah. becomes a bit boring and that's not just for characters but also kind of genres and in the theatre mm. then you want to do you know some filming you want to do some TV or some radio I love doing radio drama yeah uh, in that uh, drama class that you were you were in was there a, a light bulb moment was there a moment that you can identify as the point where you uh, yeah. as your younger self said yeah. this is what I'm going to do well, what was so noticeable about it was that before I used to, have to go in, it was in this sort of old courthouse, um, you know, really not glamorous at all. And before I would be literally shaking, <laughs> I, my heart would be beating on, I'd be like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. I was so shy. And then something about going in, immediately when I had to get up, something just took over. I don't know what that is. I really, <laughs> um, but I remember that really clearly. And I remember the the drama teacher sort of looking up and going, oh, you know, that's a completely different kid that walked in. It's a really weird. Mm. And I liked putting on accents and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, uh, yeah, I sort of remember that I had I had a sort of thrill after it. Yeah. And I'd come out and I'd be on air and then the following week it would disappear and then I'd be nervous again. It's a bit like being doing a play. Now, <laughs> what, what is it about performance, do you think, that for kids in particular is so transformative? Wow, it's such a good question. It's... Uh, it's um, I think part of being a human being is your is our playfulness. I really do. I think it's something I really look for in in. I think having a sense of humor is something that separates us from other species. As much as I love animals and my dog and everything like that, they don't they don't have the ability like humans do. Oh, I think dogs have a sense of humor. They have a sense of humor, but they're not able to laugh. <laughs> right. Not able to go. This is ridiculous. You know what I mean? They're able to have fun and they're completely unselfconscious. I adore dogs. Do not get me wrong, but uh, but to be able to go, this is ridiculous. I find that is a real sign of someone's humanity, their ability to be able to laugh at themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's a survival mechanism, I think, to be mm. able to laugh in a pressure, high pressured situation makes you survive it's a survival mechanism um i think your uh your your drama teacher that you described as sort of looking up the minute that you started performing with a jamaican accent <laughs> <laughs> i think that she would describe you as a unique talent um and in this era of performers and of celebrity for want of a yeah. better word yeah it feels like everyone's striving to be a version of the same thing yeah everyone's trying to be as pc as they can yeah, yeah. Uh, as mayonnaise as they can absolutely um how do you retain a sense of not only just self uniqueness in this well era? i feel like you've got to have a strong sense of who you are to a certain degree mm. if you're going to pretend to be lots of other different people i think it's just having a sort of ferocity about defending uh, who you are. I struggled a lot when I was in my late teens and early 20s with, you know, coming out and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And I always say that that burden that I felt uh, has become a great gift because what happens is when you have real doubt about yourself and genuine fear that people aren't going to love you, I came from Catholic Ireland and, you know, that wasn't really in the culture. And the real fear that I was going to lose my family and my friends or I wasn't going to be loved was tested. Mm. And the great gift that I was given that I had to reveal in some way who I was at a very young age, you know, 20 or 21. And every single person in my life, without fail, 
I'm lucky to say, said, I love you. And I don't think a lot of people get that. Getting that affirmation quite early on in my life, as, as scary as it was, was actually a really wonderful, really wonderful gift. So it means that my own self, I suppose, I was able to accept after a, a, a good deal of time. It didn't happen overnight, my, my God. <laughs> But so I think it then means that your my own sense of who I am is quite strong. So it meant that everything else just sort of felt, oh, this is yeah. as big a deal. So actually, I don't. Do I really need to be on Instagram? Do I really want to be on Instagram? Mm. Do I want to be in this TV show to hike up my profile for this reason? No. I think the big lesson that I I've learned is is what is of genuine value. Mm. What's of genuine value? And value, I don't think, is based on. On numbers, I think it's based on you know what's that going to give the time I have in my on, on this world with your um, loved ones. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I really, really uh, love what you just said about your loved ones. That totally charmed me because, funnily enough, I actually recently wrote a piece on failure. Uh, my big fear was letting down the people that I love. Yeah, and feeling as though I failed in the eyes of the people who I care about most. Yeah, and um, in understanding failure fully, I realised that. I can never let them down because they love me. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. And um, th- th- this idea of failure and understanding it is so unique and different based on experience. Absolutely. Um, what's your understanding of failure? I think it's in- entirely necessary for success, so to speak. Right. It's funny, it's something I've been thinking about recently in relation to being able to see things from another point of view. Obviously what's happened really recently in, um, in Fleabag is that this character of the priest was really, um, you know, had a, a big impact on people. And I was talking to Phoebe about it recently because just in certain articles recently where it was, we were talking about the hot priest, which is was wonderful, but they were talking about the character in a kind of quite um, derogatory way. There was a certain degree of objectifying going on. Mm. And I have, to be, I have to be honest about that sort of stuff because there's a certain degree of... Um, fun attached to being, you know, somebody thinking that a character that you played is is attractive. But I was talking to Phoebe about this the other day. And uh, so, for example, last year I was sent a, a script, as I am a lot of the years, where uh, the female character was described as seven out of ten in brackets, you know, first page. Oh. And you just get those scripts and you send them back. Mm. You just say, and I want them to know that the reason I'm sending them back is because of that. Because the thing I so circled don't, don't, don't you say, oh, I was not interested. Say that's the yes. reason. So had Phoebe written something, a character, said, oh, Andrew, look, I'd love you to come talk to you about this character called the Hot Priest. I would have been like, okay. How is that any different than... Because then your contribution to something is based on how attractive or how unattractive you are. Mm. And that's something I think that women go through so much more. And it's something that I've never really... Uh, what Phoebe and I tried to do was to was to set out something that was a bit more complex and felt than that. Mm. What my requirement in the show was to was to make the audience believe that Fleabag, the character, found him attractive, but not actually that the audience, whether they find him attractive or not. So what I suppose what I mean is is that to be able to understand things like failure and success, I, I feel like having that feeling as I did kind of recently. Where I felt like, oh, I'm just being seen as sort of like a kind of a boy toy to a certain degree. I thought, well, that's a real lesson. Mm. That's a real lesson because now I can go, God, I really do understand what it must be like to have this incredible brain. And for someone, for a lot of actor, actress friends of mine say that, you know, the first 10 years of their career, the question about them was, are they sexy or are they not sexy? 
And I've always gone, yeah, that must be difficult. But for some reason, there's a little part of me, I don't, couldn't say that I understand it fully, but there's a little part of me that understands what that must feel like when you're not seen for what yeah. actually... Being objectified. Being objectified, yeah. yeah um, and uh, it's an interesting one because the, the sexual imagination isn't politically correct. I really do think that I think, I think there's a certain degree of objectifying in the confines of your own bedroom is absolutely right. I think that's part of it. I don't think, I think we're we're animals to a certain degree. But politically speaking, when you're talking about what your work is, I think we've got to be very very careful about that. And and uh, objectifying men is not the answer to to the problem of the objectification of women. Yeah. Uh, you touched on social media there yeah. a couple of times. I'm interested. Yeah. Do you play the social media game? I don't have a public. Um, Nothing. Uh, no, I don't have any. Oh, public. hang on a second. You don't have any public. Yeah, pages. yeah. I do have. I do have a private Instagram. So you have a ghost account <laughs> where you leave comments. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, under a fake name. <laughs> sometimes I wish I. Sometimes I wish I could. Sometimes I wish I could. Because there is that thing. I don't know. Do you? Do, do you have? I have. Have? I have social media. So yes. when people when people um, say things about you, yes. Do you? See, I, I don't want to jinx myself. I, like I'm very fortunate to not have horrible things yeah, said, yeah. and I'm going to have a flood of horrible things now. <laughs> no, no way. Out. But um, yeah, I, I. But has I, there I ever don't. been a situation where you've thought, I, I really want to say something publicly, yeah, but I, I better not. There have been moments. Don't get me wrong. There are occasionally things that are said that yeah. I don't like or I don't agree with. But to fall into that, yeah, that danger, that, that hole of replying and yeah. going back and forth, I think is. It's just a problem. Is that part of the reason that you have a private account or is that about separating your life? Is, is it about keeping a difference? There a separation? Yeah, it's kind of both those things. Why is that important to you? Well, I feel like what's part of my life now is on the streets, you meet people and you take selfies with people and I'm happy to do that. I love people. I'm kind of in the people industry. You play people and <laughs> yes. I don't want to, you know, close the ivory gates and never, you know, be around people. I don't think that's... Um, uh, you know, would be a healthy thing to do. But if you were doing that every day and you were on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, talking to people, uh, people commenting about you or blah, 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 as well as meeting people every day, I think that would just sort of take over. You spend a lot of your time, um, you know, catering to the wants and needs. and um, See, I've seen it as energy, right? Yeah. It's about how much energy you retain for yourself versus how much you share with your audience. Yeah. And uh, for somebody like yourself who has roles that people really love and identify with yeah. or are huge fans of, the, the Sherlock example is yeah. one right the way through to Fleabag, yeah. um, I'm sure you have a lot of incoming traffic. Yeah. Um, and the energy that you have to give in those social interactions, sometimes, let's be honest, you don't want to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I imagine in the last few years, it's you've had a lot more yeah, than you would have done yeah. in the earlier stages yeah. of your career. So what do you do about retaining that energy for yourself versus what you have to share and give? Yeah, well, I think that's one of the reasons I don't do the public. public because if I had to choose between a na nameless person with a username mm. and somebody that you actually meet on the street, because then I get the opportunity to look the person in the, in the eye and say, hello, how are you? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And you get an actual vibe of person. You can actually ask them questions. I think one of the real, real dangers of being well known is that people go, oh my God, how are you? Oh my God, what do you do? And then you, if I say to somebody, a lot of the time it's fascinating, so what do you do? And they go, oh no, but it's not as interesting as what you do. You go, what is it? Well, I work in... Um, a Boring! Yeah, and then you walk and, away. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just yawn and walk off. And say, well, 
how is that in any way interesting in comparison <laughs> to my showbiz life? No, no. But then you say you find out the most fascinating, amazing things about people. And give me, I, give me an example. Well, like when I go into those comic cons or or all those things, you know, it's something I always say about people who go to comic cons and people who dress up and all the gear and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, people always say, you know, oh, they're really freaky, scary people. And to me, it's no different than people who are fans of a sports team, a soccer team. Everybody's equally as passionate. But for some reason, that's okay craziness. But if you do that for, you know, a TV show, you're in some way, you know, mentally ill. And, you know, you meet those people and they they talk. And there's this person who came up to me um, one recently and she brought her dog with her oh my god it was, she told me that the dog well hadn't got long to live but she the dog was so lovely and and she just wanted to have a sort of special special time with the dog and we got a photograph taken everything with the with with the, with her dog and you know she was obviously really really upset and just those things and you know she was wearing she was in cosplay what was she dressed as I can't remember what it was. I'm, I'm not a big. Um, she was like Mar- some Marvel okay. um, person, um, <laughs> but the dog wasn't dressed up as anything. Okay, that's good. Um, but uh, that's good. you know, you just get, you get these things where you can see the vulnerability in somebody's somebody, somebody's eyes, and you can actually, I don't know, you can just cheer up somebody's day. It's not anything other than that. Or I wouldn't overstate what. But having a sort of human interaction and finding out a little bit about that person, rather than just constantly talking about yourself, which mm. is the real. See, the, the fascinating thing about that interaction is that on surface level, that sounds fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really surreal and weird. Yeah. But once you're able to get past the weirdness of the situation, totally, totally. it's somebody who genuinely just wants to make a human yeah, connection with absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, and life and is their weird. Dog too. Totally. Totally. Life is life is weird. Everybody's a bit nuts, you know what I mean? And um I don't like the idea of too much pedestal with the with the yeah, of kind of sort of celebrity person and, and the other the other thing. Mm. Uh, changing gears a little, um, you have worked in so many different lanes with so many different types of characters. I'd really like to know um, where collaboration comes into the forming of yeah. these roles and these characters, particularly when you're going on to something incredibly successful. Now. Yeah. Uh, to be in Bond, for instance, yeah. is every actor's dream. Yeah. Uh, to be on a hit show like Fleabag yeah. or Sherlock is huge for any actor. Mm. But similarly, I imagine just as important is being able to put your own stamp on it. Yeah. So how were you able to collaborate and still own those roles on such established shows? Well, yeah, that's 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 a again, it's a really good question. I think I think uh, well, on James Bond, for example, that was quite frightening because it's such a part of the culture. Um, but I'd worked with Sam Mendes before in on, in the theatre again and so much stuff comes from, from the theatre and actually he, he's got a lot of actors in there Ray Fiennes and Ben Whishaw and Rory Kinnear and mm. Daniel Craig even um, or, or p- people from the from the theatre Judy Dench and um, in a way for such a big huge million dollar multi-million dollar budget that wasn't too difficult but certainly on those big budget studio pictures I think sometimes I felt a little bit maybe not creatively feeling very uh, inspired because the, you know, sometimes having too much money, I think it dampens that spirit of play. You were to say to five-year-olds, okay, we're going to do, we're going to do that game that you want to do, but it's going to take six months. <laughs> you know, you start to think, oh my God, what was the game at the beginning of the thing? So you've got to have somebody at the centre of it who's very interested in keeping that atmosphere alive. Um, but I'm always really, uh, with any show, whether it's a film or, or a play or TV, I always think the most important thing is to have an authored 
voice. It's to um, apply yourself to whoever's voice that is. And if it's a strong voice, then it's much easier for the actor. Well, the difficult thing about that is that film is a director's medium. You're, exactly. Whereas the stage is far is more collaborative. Absolutely. So yeah. how do you make that distinction? Well, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult because sometimes you realise that there's something that you see in the script and there's some way that you uh, feel um, passionately about in, 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 in a thing that actually at the end of the day my, my big thing on set is to be as playful as possible So, which means that you, I, I, th- I think it's important not just to decide I'm going to do it this way and you do five takes and you do them all exactly the same hmm. I think it's really important to experiment and playful and go okay I'm going to try it like this I'm going to try it like that but that's a risk because sometimes you do one take and you think that was absolutely dreadful <laughs> Please don't use that tape. And then that's the one. And they that's use. the one they use. And there's part of you that goes, "Oh, you have you kind of go and go, please don't," because I, you know, I feel like, I, or worse, it's something that you've done before, which is the thing that I go. But please just don't go down that obvious route because that's just that, that was just maybe just. Uh, How has that played out? Have you found yourself in a situation where you've watched something on? Oh, ah, yeah, they've absolutely. used a bad take. They've yeah, done absolutely, it. absolutely. I have. What's that like? It's really difficult. In fact, I think it's the most difficult thing about being a film actor. And I think a lot of actors would would agree with that thing, that you don't have the control and you don't go, that you get, literally entrust your performance to somebody. And what's so weird about being a film actor is that you're so involved in the rehearsals, yes. every aspect of the costume, the script and everything, and then you go away. And for a lot of actors, you're not there in the edit. Yes. And the edit is where a lot of the, the movie is made mm. because that's when really crass decisions or really delicate, beautiful decisions can be made. Yeah. So I can understand why the the more successful actors, when they get the opportunity, they go, well, I'd like to produce it. I'd like to be able to see, um, because you can get burnt. Yeah. Get burnt. Uh, without getting into the minutiae of it, I'd love to hear what the difference between that world and the world of stage actually is, because that performance as an actor you own. Yeah. Every night it's yours. And if yeah. you've got a matinee, you get to do it twice a day. Yeah, yeah. And you can play and you can do whatever. And the director has no, no say. No, he ain't even there. Because it's in the moment. Yeah. So what's the difference for an actor? In, in it's just actor? immediacy. It's incredible immediacy, incredible high. So you can sense as an audience are sort of coughing a little bit. You go, okay, we're going to speed this up. We're going to speed this up. So you've got this sort of third eye on there. That, or if you think I've got to hold that, you've got to surf that laugh. You can't go in with the next bit of information because you are the chief storyteller and that's what you are in, you know, in any of these mediums. So it's really genuinely exhausting. I'm doing a play just at the moment and uh, it, it takes a huge amount of energy. But yes. you really do learn I'd really encourage any actors who, who are starting off or listening that to really give uh, theatre acting a go because you really learn about rhythm. Mm. And it's all about, it's so musical. It's like, okay, I just feel like the music just needs to be speeded up here. And actually in a, in a movie, you can get a false idea of what your own performance is because they can add a little, you know, incidental, mm. a sympathetic music in behind what you're saying. They can cut out a little pauses to sort of, you know, to make it more dynamic. And uh, so, um, or yeah. speed you up or slow or you speed down. You down. They can do whatever they want, yeah. or they can take, or they can literally take a shot of you from a completely different scene and put it in. A, you know, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, um, and that's kind of cool. And part of your the gig as an actor is that you have to give it up because you, otherwise you just end up kind of paranoid and going, okay, don't use that. You can use this tiny little part of this take. You know, you, you can't do that. So. Yeah. Um, it's really, really trying to find the balance and going, okay, well, that's what collaboration is and any artistic or scientific um, experiment has to uh, have a degree of looseness about it. You can't, you have to take a risk. Uh, How much would you say Ireland has actually influenced the work that you do? Oh, wow. Um, I think quite a lot, actually. It's a real storytelling 
Culture. Culture. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh my God, they're so chatty in Ireland. I mean, when I go back, <laughs> when I go back to Ireland, I really find it so remarkable. You're in the back of a taxi and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> and the radio's on and they're always on the radio. I mean, there is a radio on in every house in Ireland at all times. In every room, in my parents' that, house. I, I say shut up, but that must be so lovely oh, to go Oh, it's so home lovely. To. It's yeah. so lovely. It's yeah. so lovely. It's just a difference in the in the thing where you go, well, yeah, see that fella there now? I had those jeans, but I didn't know. But, you know, people crossing the road, they had that, those jeans, but they were absolutely useless. They're expensive as well. <laughs> but anyway, they've shut down that shop. Have you ever been in there? Oh, yeah, well, I have a brother and I who went in there. <laughs> and then you always find out that you're practically related to somebody. Yes. That sounds like a cliche, but that's what it's like being in Dublin, which I absolutely love. And, you know, Ireland has become an incredibly uh, progressive place yes. which I'm so it gives me almost gives me goosebumps now even talking about it because you know it was ruled with an iron fist by the Catholic Church but for, for years it was um, repressed to a certain degree and then we had in 2015 we had a marriage referendum which and Ireland became the first country in the world to vote by uh, re- referendum uh, for equal marriage and then we had an, an amazing um, a referendum on abortion a couple of years ago so Ireland all of a sudden is this place that is um, progressive uh, really progressive and so I'm very very proud to sort of be involved with Ireland much more I have a, a little house there now and uh, so why did you leave? well I left because I think to a certain degree I needed to find out who I was I kind of explored a lot of that in relation to my work and um, I didn't want to be Known, if you know what I mean. I wanted to build whatever I wanted to build on my own. Nothing based on who I knew in Dublin or um, my Irishness. Yeah, You know, I've played over the years lots of non-Irish characters to play characters of all different social backgrounds and sexualities. And, you know, I love the expression that we can we contain multitudes. Mm. There are multitudes of people inside all of us. And part of the job that I love is to be able to sort of um, it was beautifully described, I remember when I was quite young, about that being an actor is being able to explore different sides of yourself with, with, but still remain intact. So that you can play total, if you're playing Hamlet, that you can explore to a certain degree total devastating grief, but not actually have to go through that through that yourself. Or you can learn all these weird trade uh, things that you have to learn. You have to learn to sword fight or you have to, you know, just... Well, accents or just mm. exploring lots of different things but actually still in some way being safe whenever I speak to all of my actor friends they're always very conscious of the road that they're walking and the path that they've chosen for themselves as a performer yeah. and they don't want to put a foot wrong before yeah. they're typecast yeah, or, yeah. or before they're seen in the wrong light or you know a director and an editor might make them look yeah. unlike they, 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 mm. they'd hoped let's yeah, say exactly, yeah. um, so how are you able to trust when you're jumping from lane to lane so often yeah. and from from road to road because there is a greater journey, yeah. one of which I'm sure you have ambitions for yourself. Yeah. But if you jump into the wrong lane, yeah. it could all be over. Yeah. Well, I think that's... I, I feel really grateful that I got addicted at a very young age to good writing. So when I started in the theatre, you get to... Know, it's It's almost like friendships. If you meet really good people that are exciting and provocative and funny and kind and all those brilliant things, you go, that's that's what you're, that's the um, platform from which you jump off. Mm. If you meet kind of shallow, uh, selfish, inane people, that's the platform from which you jump off. So right from the beginning, I feel very grateful that I didn't have a profile when I was in my 20s. I did a huge amount of theatre and I worked with lots of really amazing writers. So I think I've got a very strong sense 
of what good writing is. Mm. I've honed that skill to, to, to a certain degree. A lot of artists, but particularly for actors, lies in what you choose to do. So you're able to go, that one is good. And I recognize that that may not be seen by a lot of people, but that for me is going to do something. So, yeah, you do have to trust people, but the biggest person you have to trust is yourself. I guess there's an argument to say you could be defined by the nose. That is literally what I was going to say. It's that you, you that, that you have the, you can say no at any stage. You don't have to do that. There are definitely things in my career where I have thought that is going really, I really could do with the cash there. Uh, it was going to give me a profile for something that I don't, and then you can't shut that door. Mm. You can't. Go, go, you can't go back out. It's like once you've gone through security in the airport, you can't get back in. You can't get back out to go back into, you know, buy a Capri Sun. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to see you as one of the Charlie's Angels anytime soon, is it? Well, that's, well, that was left field. <laughs> um, all right. Music is something we've not spoken about at all. Yeah. And something that's a huge part of my life. You know, my, yeah. my dad's a musician. I've yeah. worked in music for years. And whenever I meet creative people, I'm always really interested in what they like and what they're listening to. Mm. So what's big for you? What are you listening to? And, and is there a song that you'd say, you know what, this is the song you need in your life? Wow. Um, there's this amazing performer called Sheila Atim. You'd absolutely adore her. And she sings um, Bob Dylan's song, Has Anybody Seen My Love? It's so beautiful. I'm going to play it for you after we finish here. Hmm. And she's got a voice that's uh, just incredibly special. Wow. And I like that sort of, you know, it's interesting about musical theatre. What's your feeling on musical theatre? I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I thought I thought you wouldn't I'm be. Not. Well, this is why this this is why this is so beautiful because it's a musical based on the music of Bob Dylan. I like musical theater. I mean, I think musical theater can be uh, in some of the worst experiences of your life. Oh think, yeah, and you think. It's literally making a song and dance out or something. <laughs> uh, you think, why don't you just say it? But then there is sometimes when that theatricality and the sort of absurd way of expressing yourself, yes. you think, wow, it's... what is this? Well, if you think this is, that can be genuinely magical. And this, there's a way, because Bob Dylan's music is so, in a way, the opposite of what you would expect to have in a fine, fine in, uh, musical theatre. And when you juxtapose those two things, and you make a story out of his music and you have this incredible musicians and singers in it and people who've got proper soul, it becomes a completely different different experience. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm a man of quite broad tastes really. I, 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 in a way, it's a little bit like the kind of parts and stuff that I play. I don't, I don't affiliate myself with any particular type of music. I don't, right. I've never believed in any form in high art and low art. I just don't believe in it. Mm. I, I think I think if you find a song by Steps to really do your thing, <laughs> yeah. then then that's the song. That's the song for you. Like yeah. you know, we're not here long. You know, of course, there's a difference between great, great. Sometimes you want to you want some monosodium glutamate, and someone you want something properly nourishing. But you know, I think it's there's something for everybody, and I feel like I'm a I'm a man of um, a broad taste. Can I confess something to you? Um, yes. I was just told in my ear by my producer the name of the Bob Dylan song. Oh, yeah. And I was going to pretend that I knew the song. <laughs> try and impress you. Yeah. But I've just forgotten the title. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? Wait, hang on a second. It's coming back to me. Uh, yeah, hold on a second. What is it? Uh, that's it. Tight connection to my Tight heart. Tight connection to my heart. That's wow. Yeah. That's incredible, honestly. You see, you should have been brought up in Catholic Garden. You, know, really well. <laughs> you couldn't keep that sin down. I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, is there a film that does the same thing to 
for you by any chance? Oh wow. Um I love the films of Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. I find him I find all his work just But which one? Are you gonna go punch well, drunk? Yes! You're gonna go punch, I'm gonna drunk? Go punch drunk. So you like serious Adam Sandler? I do, I love a serious Adam Sandler. Well again, there you go. Over Adam Boogie Sand- Nights. <laughs> I mean I would I would go for that over Boogie Nights. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you why because romantic comedy I think is one of the great under yeah. undervalued um, absolutely uh, genres you know what I mean and there's something about that I think there's just a, I think there's a real sexy vibe between those two actors I also think Adam Sandler is a really good serious actor there's a pain yeah there, there's a pain there like all is... great comedians right um, so yeah I love there's just all Paul Thomas Anderson's films to me just are they've got some weird again that word, that word again weird authorship mm. I think he's got a real specific attitude himself about what way he wants it to be I just want to hang out in his house oh my god because he's a genius and he's married to Maya, Maya Rudolph. Rudolph are you kidding me <laughs> Like, I know. I just I want to live in their garage and yeah. be the guy that has cereal. If you in the end mornings. up, if you end up living in their garage, I will come with you. <laughs> we'll split the rent. Yes. Do you okay. think he'll ask us for much rent? Um, PTA. Th- he doesn't need the money. Yeah, but he might. He might. You know, it might just be. It just might get us in there for longer. Okay. Maybe raking leaves. Would be or maybe we should rake some leaves. I think because I've got a <laughs> feeling they've got a lot of lawn. Yeah, they've probably got a lot of lawn. Yeah. Okay, we'll pick up. We'll pick up their leaves. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> This has been awesome. I've so loved talking great. to you. So, so, so nice. And um, uh, having seen you in so many things, it's really lovely to actually get an understanding as to where it all comes from. Yeah, well. Um, so it's been a real well, pleasure. Likewise, genuinely. Reggie. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Road Less Travelled, brought to you by Bellstar. Bellstar.